Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So this week was exciting. Um, it was the iPhone event, uh, I guess the, the fall Apple event, as they would technically call it. Um, and it was an interesting one in some ways because I feel like we knew a lot more than normal going into it about what to expect, which as a customer and as a, like an Apple fan can be, you know, give me some slightly mixed feelings in terms of going into an event, not really knowing what to expect or knowing what to expect. Um, whereas as a developer, I was very relieved in some ways to be going into the event with some amount of knowledge and expectations about what to expect. And so I could sort of plan a little bit accordingly. Um, and while I tend to, at this point, I don't tend to like build, new features or go down the road too far of building things just based on the rumor. Um, I do start to think about it and sketch things out and kind of get an, an understanding of like, well, if that, if that rumor turned out to be true, what would I actually do? Um, and so, you know, that this year was a, a, a great example of that where it's sort of like think on the rumor and then like build on the news. And Tuesday we got the news, you know, this is where we can actually, we know what app, what the fall is going to look like. I mean, from a hardware perspective, we pretty much know now what our hardware landscape will look like for another year. We know all of the final things that are in iOS 11 uh, and watchOS 4 that we're now going to deal with. You know, presumably this year, you know, we'll have additional point releases, and Apple has introduced more in their point releases recently. But you know, that's way too much to even worry about it now. Um, but we got a lot of stuff to to think about and a lot of changes I think that we're both going to have to be making um, to our apps this year. I mean, at the very least, uh, diving into making uh, updating apps for the iPhone 10 is just a a world of complication, both <laughs> in terms of gestures that now don't really work, um, the layout issues, the new status bar stuff. Um, and just from a design perspective, like it is a at least in my experience from when I was playing with it, like unless you have an app that's vi naturally very tall, um, it feels kind of odd to stretch things out to, to fill the space because it's pretty narrow and very tall. And so, I don't know, it's going to be a busy fall, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, the design changes alone, like even if you can get past some of the weird technical details of it, just the design of of trying to make a UI that is not only usable on this phone, but looks nice on this phone, while also scaling to the old phones that are still being sold in great volume, and all the way down to like the iPhone SE size, that's a real challenge. And it's going to take us developers and designers a long time before we really understand how to use this new phone's display. Because, you know, keep in mind, like, Apple tells you, like, you know, don't try to even hide the notch or the rounded corners. Like, you know, you basically embrace it, make your make your stuff flow around it. Um, anything that has to operate in landscape has additional challenges on how you flow around that. Um, but just in general, I, I think what we're seeing is you're going to have to pull things away from the edges, basically. Um, it's it's going to be harder for anything to go edge to edge and have that not be a problem somewhere. Um, so pulling things in from the edges, but while also leaving enough space in the UI, or, or rather using enough space in the UI to make sure that it still fits on the iPhone SE and the and the other smaller phones, that's going to be a major challenge. I bet even Apple hasn't really had time to fully optimize the OS or their apps um, to strike that balance yet. It's going to take them a while, and it's going to take us a while. 
I think the best thing we can do going into this is not only keep an open mind, um, and, and also I would also suggest, you know, don't make any major irreversible decisions until you've actually used the hardware, uh, which is going to be a while out still. Um, but, you know, we have to get to know the hardware as well um, before we know what's good on it and, and, and what, you know, what works really well and what doesn't. The, the more you can move away from extremely custom UI or complicated UI kit hackery uh, or fanciness, the more you can move away from that, the better. Apple is rewarding people who stuck to the stock stuff by making it easier on them. Um, and like most of the work I'm going to have to do is going to be around moving around my custom stuff again and rehacking things that might need to be rehacked and rethinking uh, complex things that I've done. And, and geez, I don't even know what I'm going to do with Overcast now playing screen uh, because not only do I have the, the big challenge of fitting you know the height between these two very different models, uh, but also the whole idea of my sliding up cards doesn't work so well um, if I can't black out the status bar and have it look right. Um, so that's going to be a problem um, that I might have to rethink and make everything full screen again. Um, so we, we'll see. <laughs> I have a lot of work to do. I imagine everyone else does too. Um, but it, it should be very, very interesting as we all, Apple included and us, uh, figure out how to design for this phone while also not ruining the old phone designs. Yeah. And I mean, I think the thing that is most frustrating to me is the delay in physically getting our hands on one. I have, I have all these ideas. I have all these things that I want to try and things that I want to do with my, you know, with, with try out with my designs. And to, it's, you really can't know how it's going to feel, I think, until you actually have it in your hand. I mean, and so there's going to be this weird period where, like, I want to do a lot of work. I want to get ahead and I want to have things ready um, in my app so that when people download, you know, when they get their new phone and download my apps, that they look great on day one like that would be a great goal but it's going to be awkward i mean i've even taken to i mean it's only been a couple of days but i've started as i've been doing my initial bits of this work i've taken to um using a plus test phone and then adjusting the viewport of the app as it runs inside of the app uh, as it runs on the plus phone so that it's the same dimensions as the um, iphone 10 will be Um, so it just has a black border around the top and side Wait, how how are you doing this? Um, so I'm so when I add my root view controller to the um, when I add, when I add my root view controller to the main window mm-hmm. um, in my app delegate, I put the its view inside of a wrapper view that is shrunk that then shrinks it down inside. That's awesome. So that there's a, a so that there's a view that is the entire screen. And then I put the actual content view and everything inside of a view that's inside of that, um, which is a terrible hack and doesn't really work. Like a lot of like, if you do anything modally, um, it'll bypass this and so on. But like, it, it gets to a point where it's like, I'm starting to do these kinds of tricks and hacks to get a sense of it. Um, because I think that's the thing that is going to be so weird to get a, a feel of. And then to deal with this, you know, the, these, I think the swipe up gesture is going to mess up a lot of apps. Uh-huh. Um, like, I mean, I was obviously like the biggest example, I mean, for, for you, is like swiping up your now playing, um, you know, control yep. center thing. That's like, a problem. Like, it's not going to work really in, in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, it, like, it will work, but it will be a lot more error prone. And that's, so basically I shouldn't do it anymore or I should find a significantly different way to do it. 
Yeah, I mean, and that reminds me of when they introduced Control Center, even. Um, I remember at the time I had a, a weather app called Check the Weather, which one of its like key features was that you would swipe up from the bottom to access the radar, uh, like in, in the weather app. And it's like, all of a sudden I was like, well, there goes that feature because like they were using, I was using almost exactly the same gesture that um, <laughs> control center started to use. And so then I needed to move away and I did it. So I think where you pushed a button, like when you tapped on it, it expanded rather than swiping up. Um, but in this case too, like I even was thinking there's going to be so, so many situations where, like inadvertent or accidental taps, I think are going to happen in apps um, because you push the home button on your phone on a very consistent, regular basis. It isn't something like control center you access often, but not all the time, you know, but you probably push your home button, um, you know, thousands of times a day. And so putting any kinds of active controls anywhere near the bottom of the screen is going to be really problematic. I mean, I even think about how, most like certainly some of my apps and I know many apps will have, if you're advertising based, you'll have, you'll put the ad in a banner at the bottom of the screen, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of awkward now when there's this, I mean, in some ways it's good in the sense that I imagine there'll be a lot of accidental taps if you uh, have an ad just above the safe area now, because as you, you know, you're going to reach, reach, you reach your thumb down to grab the grabber to slide up, to go home which is what you have to do to leave the app. Um, you know, you're putting your thumb awfully close to things. And so it's going to be a really awkward and nuanced, uh, time to kind of work that out. And then like on the flip side, it's, there's all these weird, all this, in some ways it's like my own fault, but I think about, you know, the number of, now I'm going to have to go searching through some of my apps looking for, um, the number 20, which since the beginning of time <laughs> has been the height of the status bar, yep. um, which is now no longer the height of a status bar. And so anything that I've ever done that has any kind of assumptions that, you know, the status bar is 20 or honestly, more often it's 64, um, which is the height of a nav bar plus the height of the status bar. Um, like I'm sure there are, if I do find and replace um, in my, you know, in my projects for 64, like I'm, it's going to come up all over the place because it's one of those things that it's, well, it's, you know, I, it was me being lazy. Um, it has been, it has, it's worked fine for, you know, whatever, nine years. So it, it's fine, but there's going to be so many of these little things that are just going to, it's going to be rough. And I mean, the weird thing too, is I, it's hard to know how big of an audience this phone is going to have. Um, it's a much more expensive phone. It's a much, in some ways it's sort of it's a bit more exclusive in that regard. It's not, it doesn't seem to be intended to be the, like the default choice for people, but at the same time, it's also like the best phone. And so, um, I'm very curious to see as a percentage of my user base, how, you know, what, how big of a proportion this screen size and the, these, you know, these, all these weird considerations we're going to have to do um, is going to have to, is going to actually be in practice. You know, is it going to be something where 20 or 30% of users eventually, you know, a year from now will it be 20% of users are using um, this screen or is it going to be 2% of people? Um, and while I'll obviously want to make my apps work well on that screen, um, it's going to be a little weird if, you know, it's like putting a huge amount of effort into, into something, if it is a very marginal device, um, even if I use it on my, you know, and maybe in some ways, even I'm more worried that, I expect to get one and use one as my daily phone. And if I, 
you know, then I'm sort of becoming blind to the situation of how people use my apps when they're using it on um, whatever is the most popular um, screen configuration, which, you know, right now is like the iPhone 7 size, you know, which was, is shared between the 6, the 6S, and the 7, at least in, in my apps, like that seems to be by far the most popular. And, you know, in some ways, I think maybe I need to make sure that I keep going back and revisiting um, that in daily use just to make sure that I'm not going down roads that are like awesome and cool on the fancy new phone. But uh, I started to ignore, you know, the broader range of my users. Yeah, that's always been a concern I've had with like whether I pick the you know four point seven or the five point five inch phone for my own personal phone. And the, the decision I've made so far, ever since the iPhone six, is I always pick the four point seven. Not only because I personally preferred it, but also because it was the most common screen size among my users. So and and because it was between the two other ones, that also kind of helped. That it was like, well, if I design for this, it'll look it'll look decent on the plus, and because it'll just be basically this size blown up a little bit, and then. I can, you know, whenever I do my simulator development, I usually simulate it on the SE size. So that way, because I do, I see that a lot too. So I can at least make sure like nothing's getting clipped on the small screen. Now though, that's out the window. Now it's like, well, you still have to do those. You still have to maintain those three screen sizes. But now there's this fourth one that not only is a different screen size, but is also a very different aspect ratio and also has these weird gesture and screen and notch areas and different behaviors. So it's totally different. I mean, I, I would... I would honestly like the solution that this might be like the day phone night phone thing where, you know, where UI designers uh, actually keep using both phones on a regular basis just so you can not lose track of the app you're responsible for for the design for um, on phones that a lot of people are using. Because you know yeah. you, you can't just ignore the iPhone 10. You like you have to optimize for that. And I would say anybody, any developer out there, if you have the means to buy new phones on a regular basis, you really need to get an iPhone 10 for yourself to test your apps on and to design, you know, to re to, to redesign your apps for because that's very important and it's, it's going to only get more important over time. But yeah, also you you can't lose track of the phones that the rest of your user base are are going to be using for quite some time. Yeah, and I mean it's it's a. Yeah, it, it is such a funny tension. Like I, I like in some ways the, the the you know these challenges and when they come up, but it it feels like we've gone through several of these transitions over over the years where we have to adapt to something new and learning from those experiences. Like I expect our initial passes at trying to make our our apps look good on this new phone. Um, are almost certainly going to be wrong um, initially, or at least slightly misguided, that in practice we find we do things differently. I mean, I remember when the Plus models came out, there was a lot of talk and focus around having this kind of rich and different landscape experience. Oh, yeah. Which was something that, like... <laughs> that was awful. You know, it's like... And, they, you know, Apple was saying, oh, and, like, they have this... Their keyboard it has all these extra buttons, and maybe this is something that we should do to try and, like, that the Plus phone... Was going to be a common, commonly used in landscape. Turned out, as best I can tell, that's not the case. And I believe <laughs> in iOS 11, they actually got rid of a lot of the landscape plus-sized stuff on the keyboard. Even and like that turned out to be a dead end. That didn't really happen anywhere. And like I'm sure there are going to be similar things um, with the iPhone 10 that we have to navigate. Where right now, everyone, you know, right now it's all oh, embrace the notch and you know, make your app you know, don't hide it, embrace all the rounded edges where everything's rounded and everything's inset. And, um, like maybe that'll end up not being the case that maybe that that'll actually not work for, you know, for users, even if from a design perspective or from, 
um, a visual perspective, that's what Apple is recommending. Like maybe it'll be confusing or annoying or frustrating to users. And so we'll end up having to pull things back. And so like, I think I'm definitely expecting to take kind of a two phase approach to this where my initial, like my initial phase will be a series of updates that, um, you know, to my apps that will make them functional, that they won't look broken or weird, um, or letterboxed. Cause if you don't have, if you haven't updated, um, if you don't use the iOS 11 GM, uh, SDK, when you don't use a launch screen, um, your app will show up letterboxed, um, on an iPhone 10. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm not letterboxed, but it's like this first pass might just be to make sure it, it looks reasonable, but nothing's, you know, covered or broken. Um, and then like in a couple of months, I'll be able to actually go and do this properly. Cause, um, like that's probably the most reasonable approach. And I mean, I will say one thing, I am very glad that none of my apps involve a landscape orientation anymore. Oh, you're so lucky. Cause <laughs> the landscape situation on, uh, iPhone 10 is just, just painful. Like it is really awkward in so many ways to like have this like bite just taken out of the corner of the screen because <laughs> fair enough this like it's in, in vertical orientation it's still cut out but it's cut out of the status bar which is a you know usually we're, we're not expecting things to be up in the status bar it's just you know it's, it's the nav bar status bar like that's air that that's sort of dead space from a content perspective typically but the sides of the screen like in in the, that it move you know, it's there as you scroll through a list or things and so you end up just i mean honestly i kind of expect that if i was going to go landscape in any of my things it's like i'm almost tempted in that case to just you know bump everything in and pretend that it doesn't exist um because otherwise it's going to be really awkward or visually going to look really strange and obvious um in a way that's probably slightly uncomfortable yeah because again like this is one of the reasons why i said earlier like pull content away from the edges in new designs because you know clearly with this phone like you know we've been going all the way to the edge for quite some time with a lot of our designs because that tends to look best but now we have the situation where the edges are all hazardous in some way or broken broken up by a giant um excuse me sensor housing it's not a notch it's a sensor housing um and it's very very hard to to adapt uh, you know, edge to edge designs to this phone at all. What you really need, you know, the way Apple shows, like you know, going around the notch and everything in landscape, and and g- getting around the home indicator area in any orientation, especially in portrait. Um, what you need is for things to not be going to the edge, because like you know, now the home indicator, it shows part of your UI like flowing under it, but you can't have anything around it or under it directly because then people wouldn't be able to hit it and it would look bad. So what you really need is a margin there. You need like a flowable margin that could just go under that and not look weird. Well, if, you know, you mentioned earlier the case of the ad, like I have that problem on my now playing screen where I have the ad flush against the bottom. And now I can't do that unless I make the ad weirdly tall and just give it the margin. Um, But it's, see, this is going to take a lot of change. And this is why, like, I think as developers, A, we have a ton of work to do. Um, But then also as owners of, or potential owners of the iPhone ten. I bet it's going to be a while before a lot of apps are really updated to take advantage of it because it is not easy. It's it is way more work than any previous iOS screen size has been. So I it would not surprise me if it if it takes like a year for a lot of apps to really get this down and to really issue updates that take advantage of that screen. Yeah. 
We are sponsored this week by Linode. Get set up in seconds with fast, powerful hosting starting at just $5 a month. And that now buys you one gig of RAM and a virtual server in the Linode cloud. Linode servers offer industry-leading performance with native SSD storage, a 40-gigabit network, and Intel E5 CPUs, the fastest processors in the cloud market. They have nine data centers all around the world. They have an API to quickly automate tasks or develop custom applications in their cloud, and they offer super simple scaling. You can resize Linode servers in just a couple of clicks, and it's all manageable via the command line or their wonderful interface. All of their plans also feature hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups and node balancers. It is wonderful to use Linode. I use Linode. You use Linode. It's fantastic. I highly recommend it. So check out Linode today. They have fantastic pricing starting at just $5 a month for one gig of RAM. They go all the way up to 16 gigs of RAM for just $60 a month. And they also have, uh, they also recently launched high RAM instances, lots of new stuff. And this is, in many cases, this is twice the amount of RAM that you'll find elsewhere. As a listener of this show, sign up at linode.com slash radar to support us and get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. So go to linode.com slash radar to learn more sign up and get a $20 credit or use promo code radar2017 at checkout thank you so much to linode for supporting this show so the other thing that i guess we probably worth touching on too is the um, from the event was that this year we finally get lte on the apple watch um which i think it, it's I mean, these kinds of things are so impossible to kind of predict ahead of time but it seems to me like a a bit of a significant it, it's a it's a distinctively important step in the evolution of this product because it suddenly takes it from something that was so dependent on um on its paired iphone that it couldn't i mean initially it it couldn't do anything without its iphone now it could do some stuff and then suddenly going into a world where while the device i think is still expected to have this parent that it's very um dependent on on a intermittent basis they will now, you know, there's this reasonable expectation for users that they will be able going for extended periods of time without their iPhone with them. Um, and as a result, we'll have expectations that the, you know, the apps that exist on the Apple Watch um, can take advantage of that. And I mean, I think of how the, when the, the, while the iPhone was transformative to, you know, sort of phones and computering, computing in general, um, I think one of the biggest things that it did that was like enabled so much of the change in the capability was that it was this always connected internet device. And now that the watch is that as well, like I still don't, don't really know what's going to be possible, but I expect it's going to be a lot. Um, and you know, as someone who makes a lot of apps for Apple watch, like it's a really exciting time for me to kind of be, be exploring what an always connected Apple watch will be like um, both from a technical perspective, as well as, just from a user using using it perspective, like I think people will use their Apple Watches more, in some ways, or in more contexts, or rely on their Apple Watch more, um, because there may be situ- many more situations where that's their only computing device, and so like the bar kind of gets raised for what's possible and what these watch watch apps are capable of. Yeah, I mean, I, this is one of those things. You know, this uh, largely remains to be seen, but this is a huge change to the watch and to the potential for watch apps. Um, you know, keep in mind, like before, like you were, you were kind of fighting with the watch sometimes because you could always be like, well, I could just take out my phone and do this faster. Well, now there's going to be a lot of people using a lot of watches in a lot of situations where their phone is not with them. So there is suddenly a lot more demand and a lot more need for good 
polished, capable watch apps that can be independent of their phone. So that's going to be a huge change right there, just in demand and in use cases. Um, and now, I, I think largely what we need to see is watchOS needs to catch up to this new capability. You know, we, we still, the tools that we have at our disposal to make apps on watchOS are still kind of like, you know, making baby apps. And like like when, when Steve Jobs famously described uh, old web browsers on old phones before the iPhone as, as accessing the baby internet and, you know, showed off how awesome Safari was on the new iPhone. Um, I've the watch has been baby apps all this time and they've gotten a little bit better you know a little bit better here and there uh, your blog post was great about like comparing them to like different stages of children <laughs> but uh, yeah. but it's we still don't have the the um, the kind of capabilities that we have on the phone not even close um, and it goes from basic things like UI kit um, down to, you know, more nuanced and advanced things like, you know, like my my issue was the audio frameworks not being there or background audio being very limited. Um, now that you have independent apps, you're going to have to deal with things like, you know, independent push notifications, sync engines, background URL tasks to keep things up to date, stuff like that, that the watch either doesn't have or only has like a baby very limited version of. And so... We this has amazing potential, but it's going to require, I think, a few more years of watchOS evolution and hardware evolution before we really see a lot of that potential being taken advantage of. Maybe. I mean, I hope that it will be quicker than that. It's certainly on the SDK side. Like, I hope that we see... I mean, I would love even for watchOS to get better in its point releases substantially this year, that we don't have to wait till June and then the following fall before we actually see, you know, sort of bigger changes that are allow are embracing a more independent uh, Apple watch. But I mean, well, who knows exactly how that'll go. I mean, one thing I do like though, is that all of these kind of new use cases and new capabilities um, are, are focused in on oh, the most recent and fastest model of the Apple watch. That's true. Which at least isn't, is a nice um, situation where, these situations I'm imagining of, you know, someone relying on their watch, um, you know, the performance and the experience that you can get on a first generation Apple watch, um, is, is fine and sufficient maybe, but isn't great. And from everything, you know, we hear in terms of the speed improvements and the capability improvements, especially on connectivity, um, in the series three watch, it sounds like, there's going to be, you know, like we, we we will hopefully have the horsepower we would need to actually pull off a lot of the kind of interesting things that we might want to do um, that, you know, and if that does pan out, then great. And then, you know, it's like people who are running first generation watches may benefit from some of those improvements, but they wouldn't have that same expectation potentially. But who knows? I mean, it's people always expect everything, but I'm encouraged in some ways, at least, that the people who are going to be wanting to do complicated things with their watch away from their phone are most likely going to be running the latest hardware. So that makes the the experience management perspective of that a little bit better. Yeah, good point. All right. Well, we're out of time this week. Uh, what do you think you're going to tackle first? So I'm in the I'm in the middle phase right now where I we have all this information, and what I've spent the last couple of days doing is doing all kinds of like the rough prototypes, like the sort of make, make a branch in my source repository and just like try 10 things and throw them, throw them all away, just trying to understand what's new and how things, how, where I should go next. Um, I'll probably do that for the rest of this week. And then I'll just be going through app by app, 
trying to update them, trying to make sure the things uh, like the first pass will just be compatibility and making sure everything looks reasonable. And then after a couple of weeks of that, then I'll dive into you know thinking of new features um, and getting sure things are kind of ready for what's possible now. What about you? I'm still very, very deep into iOS 11 changes. <laughs> I, I honestly have no time to do this new UI stuff yet. I'm going to be forced to, <laughs> so I'm, we'll see how this works out. Um, but I'm frankly pretty underwater right now, and I don't, I'm probably going to be pretty late shipping what I need to, what I need to ship. But we'll see. <laughs> see how it goes. That's fine. Yeah, it'll all work out eventually. Well, and the, the thing is, it's like, as I used to, I think, put a lot of pressure on myself about the importance of it being everything being there on day one. Um, and I think in practice, that only sort of matters. Like being there soon, um, unless the app like just doesn't run in iOS 11, you, you, you install it on iOS 11 and it crashes instantly. Okay, you need to fix that. Right. Otherwise, <laughs> you got a bit of time. You can kind of you know, it's better to ship something correct and properly rather than rushing something out just so that you can be there on day one. At least that's the slightly more mature version of myself. That's what I tell myself. (laughs) Well, I hope you're right. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.